Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Colonel Chris Hatfield, served as commander on the International Space Station. Chris, I get uh, edgy in a plane after two hours. How could you folks spend so much time up there in the International Space Station? Don't you get claustrophobic? Uh, well, it's a busy place, George. We're, we're not passengers on board, so um, uh, we're running about 200 experiments constantly and it's a big complicated ship it, you know it's like a um it's like a huge destroyer or cruise liner or something that can never come into port for for 30 years That's and so right. we have to do all of the maintenance and fixing while we're there and so uh, they actually have a uh, an electronic schedule for us that tells us what we're doing every five minutes for the whole six months that you're up there, down to wow. five-minute uh, splits. So it's it's a hugely demanding and busy life, and what you're really looking for is is a little bit of time off to, to take pictures out the window or, or, or write music or, or, or think about where you are. And speaking of music, I understand you're quite an accomplished uh, musician yourself. Uh, there's a guitar up on the space station that, that was put there by the, actually by the NASA psychiatrist, because music and, and arts are... Are, are so important just for mental health. People need music, and and so I yeah, I played I played in bands my whole life and 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 fronted bands and I, I wrote a whole album of music on the space station that's done well and did a cover of a Bowie tune that that lots and lots of people have seen. That guitar gets gets played quite a bit up there, and uh, and it's a really nice way to kind of explain explain things to yourself, you know, to to float weightless by a huge <laughs> window playing guitar and uh, and watching the world roll by silently. It's an amazing personal experience. As amazing, as a matter of fact, I've got a little clip of you singing Space Oddity up there on the International Space Station. Control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Lock your Soyuz hatch and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown engines on. Detach from station and may God's love be with you. This is ground control to Major Tom. Great job with that, Chris. <laughs> Super. And that, of course, when Bowie did that, uh, Major Tom was an astronaut who basically 
hid his life. He pretended that he died or something, then he came back when he did the other song, Ashes to Ashes. So yeah, man, you know, Bowie wrote that song uh, back uh, even before Apollo 11, before the first moon landing in 69. He wrote that song, we forget now, he was like 19. You know, twenty years. Yeah, ago when he what a that. talent! He was just a just a kid, and and, and he really loved that version that I did up on the space. Station. What did your crew members think? Space. When you when you? Oh, oh, I just did it by myself. You don't want to bug other people. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's got very little spare time on a spaceship, and so you don't want to demand any time of others. So uh, I, I just uh, recorded that on my own while I was up there and floated around for an hour one Saturday afternoon and made the video that went with it. And uh, But it's nice because hundreds of millions of people have seen that video and, and maybe get a little better sense of what it's actually like to, to live and work and be a human being on board a spaceship. While you were up there, did you ever have that feeling, let's just go to the moon, we're so close? <laughs> I feel that way every day on Earth, George. Why not? <laughs> it's only three days away, you know. And I, I, uh, I head up a space foundation called Open Lunar that's working at cheap ways to get to the surface of the moon and and um, uh, and take advantage of all the technology we've built. There's all sorts of people headed that way right now. So, yeah, we think about that on the spaceship. You just have to go 40% faster. The, the speed you go to stay in orbit, which is about five miles per second, if you can just increase by a couple miles per second, then, uh, then you're fast enough to go to the moon. So, yeah, yeah it would be nice to fire the engines and go. Chris, are you specifically spiritual or religious? Were you then? Are you now? Did did it enhance anything there? I uh, I think the no matter what what yeah I'm spiritual. I'm not particularly religious, but uh, you don't get to be an astronaut without some sort of sense of personal convictions. Yes, um, and and to see the world that way is immensely thought provoking. Uh, you know, to, to not just down here in one little tiny spot on the surface, but to be able to see the whole thing in 90 minutes, and then again the next 90 minutes, and then again the next 90 minutes, it it puts it in a real accurate perspective, and and then it it also shows the rarity of it and and the 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 unique jewel-like beauty of it, and so we I mean we we have all the religions, all the major religions of the world on on the spaceship from all the different crews from around the planet. So sure. we talk about it all the time. And I think it, it reinforces whatever whatever belief system you have. To fly in space, I think it gets it gets deepened by by seeing the world for what it actually is. It 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 tends to whatever convictions you had that allowed you to do these things to get there, they they get reaffirmed by um by the amazing experience of, of seeing the world from a spaceship. Do, do you do you think when uh, people are trying to talk about the Big Bang Theory and how things happened, do you do a lot of thinking up there about that? Like, how did this universe start? Oh, I think about that all the time, and yeah. um, and no one knows the answer to that. Uh, there's lots of people thinking about it. Our best physicists um, have theories that that are getting more and more proven, but none of them are complete. Uh, and and the big questions are still always begged and left open. You know, what was there before the Big Bang, and 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 can you create something out of nothing? And 
and what is the what is the end game for all this? Those those questions are huge, and sure. we understand them. I think now better than we ever have, but we sure don't have the definitive answer to any of those things. But mounted on top of the space station right now is a huge experiment that the guys were doing spacewalks to to get fixed this week called the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. Just trying to understand what the universe is even made of. We can only account for 6% of what the universe is made of. We, we call the rest of it dark matter and, and dark energy, but we really don't even know what that is. So, yeah, we're just, we're just kind of, you know, little toddlers just starting to step away from Mother Earth and trying to figure out what's going on. Space Station's a great place to do that. Chris Hadfield with us with his book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. Were you aboard the ISS when they had that little leak or something? Where did, did a cosmonaut have to put some gum in there to kind of stop it or something? Yeah, it uh, the the Russians haven't uh, uh, come completely clean with the story of what happened there, but um, but it really looks like it was a, a manufacturing error. You know, someone uh, it, it looks like it was a uh, someone inadvertently punched a little hole and then sealed the hole, and the little bit of sealing came loose while they were on orbit. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people want to make a huge deal of it, but but I mean. Every little, every piece of the space station was built by somebody, and it, it's nothing's perfect. I mean, you you don't want a, a Monday or a Friday car, right? You want a Wednesday car. Exactly. So, space station, we do our very best to make everything perfect, but but nothing's ever perfect. And yeah, the uh, a crew a, a little over a year ago, they had a tiny tiny leak that was detected, and they found there was a little tiny hole in the wall of the Soyuz, and they they plugged it. We got. You know, you, we get hit by meteorites all the time, and so you always have to be able to react to some sort of leak. Uh, fortunately, uh, they don't punch a hole on any regular basis, but we have all the equipment on board, as you say, sort of like gum, big goops of Bondo and waste, waste <laughs> to plug a leak just in case uh, that ever happened at a catastrophic level. If there were a coronal mass ejection heading your way, a big X flare, do you have a place where you could hide within the ISS? to kind of insulate yourself? Yeah, the sun, of course, as you know, ejects huge amounts of energy on a regular basis. And as you say, a coronal mass ejection is like a big burp coming out of the sun. And normally they're going some direction besides the Earth. But occasionally one of them comes and envelops the Earth, like the Carrington event in the mid-1800s. If we had one of those now, uh, it would do tremendous damage. Oh my God! You, you and I wouldn't be talking on the uh, on oh, the air. It would, it would shut down our phones. It would be huge, and it would be very life threatening, uh, not only to the satellites in orbit, but of course to the six people up there. And so, one of the things we need to think about on the surface of the Earth is radiation protecting all the stuff that's valuable to us, but also the valuable things in space. If one of those happens right now, our crew on the space station does not have. Uh, uh, complete perfect shielding from it. We get higher radiation dosage on the spaceship. We watch it. We stay within OSHA rules. We we don't allow a certain cumulative dosage in over your life. But but a big ugly burp from the sun. It uh, it's one of the things that we uh, we hope isn't going to happen while we're up there. We have some parts of the station that are, are better shielded than others, but. Um, but none of them are as good as the thick, wet atmosphere that's above our head here protecting us on the surface. It's just part of the 
many thousands of risks that, that we take in order to be the astronauts who are starting to explore the rest of everything else. Chris, I was a friend of the late Apollo 14 astronaut, Edgar Mitchell, and he was a staunch believer in extraterrestrial life. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm evidence-based guy, of course. Uh, you can believe whatever you like, and that's that's how a lot of things get started is through belief. Sure. But, um, but I... I, I respect other people's beliefs, of course, but that doesn't mean that I believe the same thing. Um, but I, I think the evidence recently is really interesting in that our our best telescopes, the ones we've put into orbit, are are seeing planets around other stars. And we we didn't we thought we believed that maybe those existed in the past, but now we know for sure that on average every star has a planet, and and probably more than one. And so then suddenly you can start to make not just not just conjecture, but actually uh, logical thought. If every single star has at least one planet, and by measuring them, we know how many of those stars, the planets are in the zone where it's not too hot, not too cold, where maybe our type of life could exist. Then you can start to just add up the odds. You know, how many stars are there? And it's a question we can kind of answer because we can count the stars in our own galaxy and we can count galaxies because they're bright. So if you can start to count how many planets there must be, then you can figure the odds of, we know for sure there's life on Earth, mm -hmm. you can just start figuring the odds of what, is, what are the odds that there's life somewhere else. And when you tally up the numbers, the best, the best numbers I've heard, George, if you, the number is so huge as the number of planets are, that it's almost unimaginable. It's not, like not a billion or a trillion or a quadrillion or a quintillion. It's like a, a seven billion, you know, a septillion, which is is unbelievable. It's a basically infinite in the human yeah. imagination. And so, if there's an infinite number of planets, which we've recently uh, essentially proven, then it's it's kind of arrogant to think that ours is the only one. That developed life. I mean, that, right. that doesn't even logically follow. So, so my my intuition is such that there has to be life somewhere besides Earth. It, it just seems illogical and improbable that that there wouldn't be. The real question is, though, where and is it just blue green algae like exists on Earth for billions of years, or is there intelligent life somewhere besides Earth? And uh, we haven't found any evidence that there's intelligent life anywhere but Earth. And we're looking. I mean, that's why we're drilling down into Mars right now. And, and you mentioned Venus in the opener. There's some people, we know that Venus had Earth-like conditions for a billion years early in its formation. There's some people think there may still be vestigial life in the, uh, in the upper clouds of Venus. Uh, Europa and Enceladus, the moons of, of Jupiter and Saturn, they have water spewing out into space, and they've had liquid water for essentially what must be billions of years, and those are the conditions that formed life on Earth. So we might be able to answer your question, kind of everybody's question, within the next few years by finding life on Mars or life on Enceladus or life on Europa. And I think that would be a really important step, not just belief or conjecture, but actually irrefutable uh, worldwide, hold it in your hand kind of evidence that, yep, there's life somewhere be besides Earth. We haven't found it yet, 
but that's part of the reason we're exploring, is to try and answer that specific question. Have you seen the video that the Pentagon released of the uh, Navy uh, jet fighter pilots chasing what they call the Tic Tac UFO? I don't know if you've there, seen there, that or not. It's an amazing all piece sorts of, video. of uh, when when you know. I, I was a fighter pilot, and I, and I flew in the Earth's upper atmosphere for for more than a decade. I've been around the world two thousand six hundred fifty times. <laughs> so when when there's a little grainy clip somewhere on on the internet of something someone's purported to have seen, I'm always very suspicious. I have a lot of personal practical. Uh, experience in in those environments. I don't have to take anybody else's word for it, and and so there's there's lots of things we don't understand. I mean, I don't I don't discount that, uh, and uh, and there's lots of things that we haven't discovered yet. So I'm I'm really a curious human being. Sure, but I'm much more interested in in evidence based, careful, brick by brick built. Um, understanding using the scientific method to figure out where we are and what's going on, and and so I, I, I take everything with a with a huge grain of salt until until there's really clear evidence um, be, before I accept it as something uh, that is a fact. Did you ever see anything up in space that you would say was really strange? <laughs> Everything's really strange. <laughs> yeah. uh, I knew you'd like say that. Normal life. I mean. Uh, when you're weightless, everything behaves non-intuitively. Um, but no, no, I, 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 to, to get to the point of what you're asking, no. And I don't know of any astronaut that I've ever spoken to in conversation with me who has. So I, I know there's, there's a lot of things that have definitely have been taken out of context uh, of the things people have said. Uh, and it's something we talk about all the time. And when I look out at the night sky either sitting here like I am right now or when I'm on board a spaceship, you have to think about those things. You have to think about the, the probability that we're not alone in the universe. But, but to me, um, part of the great quest of exploration is to try and, and actually uh, irrefutably find evidence to answer that question. And, and uh, we haven't yet. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.